This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the show. We got a guest today, Nathan Smith, who is a serial entrepreneur, real estate investor, weary traveler, avid learner, outdoor enthusiast, owner of Triumph Investments, amongst other companies. He's a Wisconsinite, relocated to Colorado, and he's a GoBundance brother of at least two years now, maybe three, coming up on three, I think. So welcome to you, Nathan. Hey, thanks, Jamie. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm happy to be on the podcast finally. I'm excited. I've been listening to all the episodes lately. And you do awesome work on here, man. Oh, I appreciate that, man. No, it's fun. I, I really enjoy it. I get to meet so many people doing this. It's a blast. So let's get some of your backstory. I talked about Wisconsin to Colorado, kind of fill in the blanks for us in between there. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, I'm I'm from a small town in Wisconsin. Uh, the town's name's Clayton, Wisconsin. Nobody's heard of it. It's got 400 people, I believe. I grew up on a gravel road, no stoplights, the whole... Is it near uh, anything like Madison? No, no, yeah, it's northern. Technically, I guess it's it's only about an hour and fifteen minutes from St. Paul, Minnesota, but oh. into the Wisconsin side. Um, so kind of northwest of St. Paul there a little bit. Uh, but yeah, had just a, a wonderful childhood growing up in a small town. Lots of opportunities to me. Um, played a lot of sports. Got in a lot of trouble. A big farming community. My dad's actually the vet in the hometown there, so I did a lot of farm work growing up kind of instilled a good work ethic prize what I took most away from that and then was kind of always thrust into those leadership positions because of you know the smallness of my high school uh, to be completely honest uh, from there I went to a uh, local college University of Wisconsin at Eau Claire um, played college hockey was fortunate enough to to be able to continue playing athletics in college so did that for four years had a blast um yeah, that was that was absolutely awesome. I, I tell a joke because like they won the national championship like a few years after I left, so they had to get the bad people off the team. Yeah, yeah. They had to clear them out. No. Clear them yeah. out. They division one, two. What, what division is that? There are only three, um, and there's no two for college hockey, so there's just one and wow. one and three. But That's yeah, wow. So then, All right. Yeah. So you're in Wisconsin. You go. What'd you go to college for? So I ended up getting a major in chemistry with a business emphasis. So it was my degree. But when I entered, I was pre-med and kind of went down that old route, et cetera. Gotcha. What was the, uh, what was the, the ambition at that time? Were you thinking, I want to be a, a doctor or what, 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 like always? Or was that something that kind of popped up once you went to college? Um, I was pushed pretty hard. You know, dad was a vet. My mom yeah. runs a lab at a hospital. So pushed medical for sure. Um, ended up becoming a pharmacist. Um, so I rebelled hard, you know, like went way <laughs> over there. But yeah, that was my way of rebelling, probably. Um, yeah. yeah, I kind of always was, I was good in math, good in science. Um, yeah, so I was kind of already down that path, I should say. Very cool. All right. So, so when was the move then, or what precipitated a move out of cold and snowy Wisconsin to not so cold, somewhat snowy, but sunnier Colorado? Yeah, yeah. So after that, Took a quick four-year stop, well, six-year stop in Madison to get my doctorate. Did that whole deal. Um, built my real estate kind of, that's when my real estate journey kind of started. And that's when, when you were getting your doctorate, while you were getting your doctorate, you started investing in real estate? Yep. 
So wow. I talked talk dad, the, the classic talk dad into buying a house, renting the rooms out. I think there's a term for this called house hacking. We'll have to heard it. bring Craig Curlop in to see if he's heard of it. But um, yeah, I house hacked. And then I just started kind of really pinning my ears back right when I got out of grad school and buying, like using creative financing in my high W-2 while still still living like a, a bum college kid, to be completely honest with you, and buying assets. What? That, you know, kind of precipitated into me moving back to Eau Claire because that's kind of where my main market is in, in Wisconsin. Yeah. And uh, the Go Bros prior, prior remember it. It's humbling. But Matt Onofrio is in, in Eau Claire too. Yeah. So like I was thinking I was like pretty good. It's, it's not a huge market. And then all of a sudden, Matt just, I'm just like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> like, how am I supposed to keep up with that guy? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Now, so you, I'm curious about this. So your father is a vet. And I think you, you were talking before recording, like you started a couple of businesses. We'll get to that, that were to help your parents retire. So I'm guessing that your parents weren't in, or maybe they were the entrepreneurial mindset growing up. They were kind of down the, were they, were they like, I'm getting at like, where did this come from? This desire at that young age to say, hey, I want a house hack or whatever it was called at the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think it had a phrase, but <laughs> um, I was always bent towards entrepreneurship. Just that's kind of been a bent of mine. My dad does own his own practice. So there is some entrepreneur mindset there, but he's a business owner. He'll be the first to tell you that. But it's not passive. He works every day in the business. My mom has always been a W-2 employee. But, uh, you know, from the young age, I remember like diving in the local pond on the golf course and digging golf balls out of dirty ponds and selling them. That was like my probably my first panure, I guess, if you say. And that morphed into trying um, Amway one time and doing all this different stuff. Um, I knew I wanted to own a business. And that's honestly probably why I went pharmacy versus medical. That morphed into I want to own my own pharmacy. You, you, you get the picture. And part yeah. of that education was just reading books and realizing that a lot of things that kept coming up was rental property, the passive income side of things. So I really wanted to drill down on how I could do that. Um, and I'll tell you, probably one of the greatest experiences of my life was I was a guide in Alaska on a fishing boat for three summers while I went to grad school. And it's one of those lodges, all-inclusive lodge. So it's it cost a decent amount to to go fish at that lodge with us. And you'd be stuck. I was the deckhander, the first mate on a boat. And there were six people on the boat. But you're stuck on the boat with these people that obviously are successful in some area of life for 10 hours. And I would just ask them, okay, I'm 22. What would you suggest I do? What would you, you know, just asking some open-ended questions to, you know, honestly, multimillionaires probably. And just be like, what would you do if you were me? And real estate kept coming up like, hey, I do this. I would go back. I do this. And that was really powerful, that, that experience. All right. So first house hack, were you working for a pharmacy or did you start your own right away? I'm assuming you were working for one, right? Yep. I, I, I've always worked for Walgreens since I, I, I interned there. I never actually went down that path. Decided pretty quick I, that pharmacy ownership wasn't for me. Um, gotcha. So yeah, I always stuck with Walgreens. I actually still am part-time. I have to work four hours a month. Wow. Oh, wow. That's, that's the four hour work month. Isn't that a book? Or something? <laughs> um, all right. So you, so you're, you're in med school actually in, in uh, Madison, you buy your first house hack. Tell me about the next, the progression of that. Like what was the, what did you learn from that? What was the next step and what have you grown since then? Yep. Um, so that first house in Madison, 
Madison's probably the most expensive market in Wisconsin. So I would have loved to expand in Madison. It's the jewel. It's it's an awesome market if you're in it. Um, I just was looking at it, trying to save up money during grad school because I worked a lot and just realized that, hey, the, the price points are a lot cheaper back at Eau Claire, where I just lived for four years to do an undergrad. So that was the natural progression is like, man, price points are cheaper, cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. So I think my last year I graduated, I purchased two houses back in Eau Claire. And that's kind of where things started to take off is I, I started to really purchase hard back in that market as I graduated school. What is, do you still have a portfolio there today? Is that where you have a bunch of property? Yeah, I'd say that that's probably where about 60 to 65% of the assets are. Is in that what, is, what, what do you have there? Is all singles, du- duplexes, that kind of thing? And how many? Uh, yeah, so I bet you it's probably 100 doors. And it's it's everything from single families to duplexes um, to, I guess, the most doors under one roof is nine. But then there's like this little community of five quads. So that's 20 units, you know. So it's yeah. small multi. And now did you, are, are you on your own there or do you have partners in that market? Yep. All on my own. So that's kind of my thing is I've always kept it in house. I have hundred percent ownership of everything I have. Yeah. Um, except uh, full disclosure with my parents were 50, 50 on each of those partnerships. Yep. Makes sense. Now the, 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 um, the, the pace at which you scale to hundred doors in Eau Claire, what first house hack was, I don't know how many years ago that was, how long did it take you to get to hundred doors? You know, I just had a large purchase last fall that probably brought me back up to 100 doors in Eau Claire. I, I mean, overall, the global portfolio, I think, is right around 180 doors. And then I kind of went over over to like the Appleton Oshkosh area, which is on yeah. the eastern side of the state, had a bunch of properties in the middle uh, part of the state called uh, Wausau Stevens Point area. And I actually sold out of that partnership. So I've been up to like over, I think I'm back up to like where I was at a peak, but I sold some assets like two or three years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, to get to a hundred doors, I was probably there 18, maybe, maybe 19, somewhere around there. You were there when you were 18, 19? No, no. Uh, 2018, 2018, 2018, 2019. Okay. Got yeah. you. So 2018, 19. And that's when you hit a hundred doors. And when did you, when did you buy your first house hack? What year was that? So the first house hack was 2010, but then I didn't purchase another asset till 14. Wow. Okay. All right. So you went in, in, in a short order uh, scale quickly. What was the strategy? How did you, were you just really well capitalized? The job paid that much? You lived that below your means or was there, what was there some burst strategy in there? Uh, combo of everything, honestly. Like I lived like a pauper when I graduated school. I was, I house hacked for the first year after graduation too, and still lived for free. Um, I, I purchased deals and I, I ended up working night shift seven on seven off at, at a Walgreens in Madison, right when I got out and, and, you know, bringing that much money in compared to not having any money for like the first 26 years of my life, I could put these little 80, hundred thousand dollar houses. Cause that's what they're going for at the time under contract with only having a portion of the down payment, knowing in 60 days, I could make that much to purchase it. You know what I mean? Like I know right. I'd, stockpile five grand a month and I need another 10 in 60 days and I could pick up extra shifts. I could do that. But very quickly that comboed with creative financing. Like that's kind of my jam. A lot of seller financing. I've probably taken, I don't know, 1.5 million or so in seller financing and creative like seller credits back at closing, et cetera. That's kind of my jam. 
Talk about that for a moment, because there's. I also want to get into the small, like the, the lower value market, like you're in. I have a property that's remaining. I had five doors there, not a hundred, uh, in upstate New York. Um, that was not a not a growth market. It's a it's a cash flow market, right? Low price per low, low price per door, but great rents. You know, rents are like you know. So, and I'm assuming that's what you have in Eau Claire and the other parts that you're of of uh, Wisconsin and and um, kind of Minnesota that you're investing in. But um, go back to creative finance for a moment. Talk, talk me through. Give me an example. Like, how do you find the deals? And then how do you approach the creative financing aspect with the seller? For sure. Um, usually I find there has to be some sort of a relationship uh, base. We, we did pull off a pretty large one without any relationship and a broker in the way. But usually it's you talking with the seller. Back in back when I started off, it was hat in hand, to be completely honest. Like, hey, I'm, I'm just getting started. I don't have a lot of capital. You have a good amount of properties. I'm very interested. I'm hardworking. I, I can do all this. Like, see, like I'm, I'm the good old Wisconsin boy. That, that's the next generation. Would you help me with the down payment? And that that seemed to tug at some heartstrings a lot. And it, it was the truth, right? Like I, I got deals that I in no way qualified for, should have gotten, et cetera. Put any other ism on there. Like we, we like the first big deal that kind of proved to me that everything was possible. It was me and a partner that I now it's triumph investments. I now own it hundred percent. And he knew he had the knowledge. I was more the income side of things, but we ended up purchasing 2.5 million in properties. And we ended up full seller carry and seller credits. So I remember walking in to the closing and walking out with no money or not bringing in closing, walking out with 36 doors, 11 properties and like 85 grand. And I was like, what just happened? Like, there's no way that's possible. And that, that really kind of set me on a trajectory in full disclosure. That was mostly my partner at the time. Like he, he knew what he was doing. And then I kind of learned from there how to do it. Yeah, you got to grab the right person. You got so that partnership is over. Did you buy them out? Did that just fall apart, or, or what? What happened there? Yeah. So, kind of what happened is we ended up starting a property management company together. Uh, we got into the restaurant industry. Uh, we did some frac sand mine stuff. A lot of things along the way. He ended up. We, we split. I think it was in 2018. Most of our stuff. He took the property management company, which we were at like a thousand doors at that time. Since he's done very well with that, I think he built it to over two thousand doors. Uh, it's called Prosper Real Estate. Um, he took the restaurant and I took the assets we had together. It was kind of the basic breakup of, of stuff. And the reason we had to do that is honestly, the restaurant wasn't doing that well. And I needed to create cash for him so we could operate that. Gotcha. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, so it, it, it all's well that ends well, I guess, as they say. So, all right. So talk about buying in markets like that. Okay. So I'm going to assume, maybe I'm wrong, that the Eau Claire market, where you bought, uh, and I know everything's gone up everywhere. Like every, every, there's people say, oh, this market's like every market's hot. Every stinking market in the world, no matter where you are, is hot. But hot for Eau Claire, I'm going to guess, is a little different than hot for, say, Denver or Chicago or whatever the case may be. Buying in a market where I'm assuming you're forcing appreciation more than you're getting it from the market. Sustainable? Is that something that you feel as though, hey, it's, it gets me to a certain point? Can you grow and scale with that model? Or, or is it just, is there a cap on that? Because I know a lot of people shy away from markets like that for, wow, people are moving out, right? It's not a, it's not a growth market. Look at city data, like, you know, it's high, high poverty level, lower, lower, um, you know, like maybe people are leaving, like population growth is flat to maybe slightly down, but you're buying there. So what does that look like? Is that sustainable long-term? Um, 
Yes and no. Like you hit on some great points. And I've definitely had to morph my buying. Um, I started buying in the core of Eau Claire, kind of what's there's like this little hill in this like downtown area is post-Civil War built. And I own a bunch of 1860s houses yeah. down there, which anybody listening to the podcast knows what comes with 1860s houses. Lots of maintenance, repairs, things that you just didn't see coming. So now that's definitely morphed into where I won't buy anything older than about 1970s right now. But I still own a lot of those houses. So I'm buying a lot more newer, bigger multifamily. That's my goal now. So yes, I am transitioning Eau Claire has seen a very good appreciation, which is to no credit of my own. It's just how the population is growing, et cetera. So it's very hard to find cash flowing assets there. Um, and the whole kind of seller financing thing is I'm, I'm sure, you know, like it's, it's hard to make things pencil right now at, you know, 70% LTV. You want to slap on a second mortgage. It's, it's even tougher right now. So I don't know how applicable that is in this market right now. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So now you're in Colorado. What yep. what made you move to Colorado? A good woman. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, uh, there's a story wife, there. Yeah, I, I met my wife. Uh, uh, she was finishing up her master's in Eau Claire, and we started dating about this time of year. Actually, it was maybe a little bit later, like March. And we're about a month in. She was coming up on graduation in May, and she took a kind of her dream job out here. She has some family out in Colorado. And she broke the news to me about a month in, like, hey, just so you know, like, um, I got this job opportunity and uh, I want to take it. And I, I didn't want to hold her back from her dreams. And plus, at a month, I didn't really, I don't know, like, I like this girl, but, you know, we'll see. Well, fast forward three months, you know, I was like, this, this one, this one could be the one. And then she's like, okay, but now I got to go take that job I told you about. And I'm like, dang, like, shoot. Played that one wrong. So we did the distance thing for about 10 months. Um, then I kind of separated myself from like the property management company. That was all during that time, kind of yeah. freed myself up, whereas I could go and uh, kind of follow her. So that's kind of how I got out here. And it, it's been great, honestly. Wow. So are you are you uh, maintaining a presence, continuing to build where you can back in that market? Like, hey, I mean, you've got you've got a lot of knowledge of that market. It's It's, you know, you've got a competitive advantage there. Are you looking to expand like, closer to where you are? Does it matter now? Like the distance investing, does it really matter for you or like what's next? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I definitely want to scale getting into larger multifamily projects. I'm comfortable in probably about four or five markets. I, w- I would love to get in more into like Rochester, um, Minnesota, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Again, those are Midwest markets that I know that are growing, have some kind of competitive advantage. I'd love to invest in Colorado. It's tough for me to make the numbers work out here. It really yeah. is. Um, but yeah, the, the big learning curve that I had to learn, even when I moved out here is managing at a distance. I was so hands-on, right? I was the opera. I was in there. I'd, I'd come do the demo day with my guys. I'd tear off shingles if we did a roof and being a thousand miles away, it was actually a really good learning curve. Like Nate, you need to learn how to be an asset manager now, not so much boots on the ground. And that was, I bet you that was a good 12 to 18 month learning curve that there was some, uh, uh, some headaches and some broken noses along the way. What are the biggest takeaways? Like what are two, three things that you look at now like that you've converted from, you know, boots on the ground to asset manager, as you put it, what are some big, like, wow, okay, this is one thing that I needed to do that made me an asset manager. This is another two, are there two, three things that really, uh, that you've become or tactics or, or uh, learnings that you've had that you could share? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the biggest ones probably is, and it's an old adage and we've all heard it, but like, I really had to put it into practice this. No one cares as much about your stuff as you do. Right. Yeah. So like, I remember I moved away and I think I bought like 90 units that year and I was just moving away and I was like, well, this is just going to happen how it's always happened. But I wasn't there to make sure it was happening. And that was a huge issue. So we had some renovations go way over budget. Wow. Um, some like rent increases fall through the crack that I didn't wasn't there to help send the renewals out and raise the rents where I wanted them, et cetera. And, and that was completely my fault, right? Like I, I should have known, like knowing now, like we established meetings with property managers that manage the assets every week. A lot of it is the company that I used to be highly involved with. They still manage a good portion of them. So that's easy. I, I helped hire some of those people and get them the job. So that's nice. But it's weekly meetings, it's KPI, it's it's the whole EOS system, right? I mean, you got to have your metrics down and uh, checks and balances is huge. Did, that, did you implement, did you full implement or the whole nine EOS into your business or no? It, I guess it's not so applicable for me, right? Like I'm just managing like prosper real estate. Like I don't have any employees. I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. We can talk sure. about that, like kind of bored. Yeah. I, I need to build a team again and I will <laughs> definitely implement EOS. But yeah. I guess it's not my place to make them implement EOS type thing. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, I get that. Now you have a couple of businesses you mentioned a bit, a bit ago that are partnered with your parents. Talk about that. Why? What does that look like? You know, um, my, my parents, they, they did everything for me. They, they were awesome. They gave me every opportunity um, to succeed. My dad on, on my first house hack, that's where the down payment came from. It it worked out okay. Like I said, we bought it in 10. I think we sold it in 16 or so. Nothing again, no credit of my own, but if you bought something in 10 and you sold it in 16, you know what happened, right? Sure, sure. But it honestly it was probably one of my worst investments. But mm -hmm. by the end of that, I, I kind of had started to figure some stuff out. Mm -hmm. And my my mom and I started buying, and she has a like a very long-term mindset. She didn't need to see a return. She's like, I just want passive income during my retirement. So like I started to really get this down and like I use very little cash. Like in my dad's portfolio, I think it's valued at like 1.8 million or something like that. Wow. And I showed this to, uh, and that's gross. That's not net. Like I think the value. Yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, that's just the assets it holds. But I think we're all in for like $15,000 of cash. Wow. So like super creative, right? Pulling equity. Oh, kidding. Middle. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Like story that way. And my mom's is we put more cash in, but she's a little bigger. I think she's at like 2 million in assets. But it's it's overjoined because they're both 64 right now. And we just started pulling uh, monthly withdrawals for them. So I think they each get like three grand a month. And I'm pretty sure it'll, it'll keep going up from here. But it's it's so neat for me personally that they get to do that because they've, they've given me everything in life. Like, wow. Really. That's the ultimate in contribution. You talk about one of our pillars, right? And to that end, I want to real quick talk about GoBundance. So what drew you to GoBundance? Is it the boredom that you were feeling? You needed to find new people to be around? <laughs> like, what, you've been around for a while. So what, what drew you to GoBundance? How did you first kind of get attracted to and why'd you join? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, you know, when I was working nights, like this would have been like 16, 17 or something like that. Yep. A lot of like my first podcast I listened to was probably Joe Fairless because he did that day he does that daily thing and i could yeah. just rip those and then, too, then brandon i found brandon you know and he would talk like about go abundance and it started to resonate 
And to be completely honest, like I wouldn't be where I'm at without GoBundance, especially like I talked about that tough time when I moved out here in 18. And that's about the time, almost, I think it was 19 when I joined GoBundance. I'm coming up on my three-year anniversary, like you mentioned, yeah. um, really helped me manage from a distance and get through some of those pitfalls and sidestepping, leaning on the tribe. Some of the guys that have already done that and gone down the path, that was so valuable at that time because I, I was struggling to be able to yeah. Who did you, I'm curious, was that more local guys, more pods? Like, where do you lean in with something like that? Or was it just the, the overall kind of being at events and being around guys? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my pod's solid. Uh, I got David Mantech, I got Brandon Rumley, I got Tony Trin, and I got Jordan Graham. A wealth of knowledge across a lot of different asset classes. And, and those guys were probably my main sounding board. Um, I try to get on David Osborne's calendar about once every six months and just ask him some high level stuff. Luckily, I got, was on the phone with him like two weeks ago and just kind of yeah. picking his brain, seeing where everything's going. I, I, I walk away with that with just nuggets. He's not even knowing he's dropping, right? You've been around him. He's just, he just says stuff and he's not even trying to like educate. And you're just like, holy crap. It's like what, what he's distracted in saying is like, oh, wow, that was, that was like amazing. Like he, he might be like looking through his fridge and just something comes out of his head. By the way, does he hang up faster than anybody you've ever heard? Like oh he's, God, yeah. I don't know. He must have his finger like on the, the end button. Like, <laughs> all right, but I'll see you later. Uh, okay, gone. Yeah. yeah. You don't get to respond. He's a busy man. I, I just thankful for any minute I get with him and picking up. That's a great point. Well, talk about that for a second. Cause look, you, you, you buy into a group like this. And I think there's sort of like, there, there's the, there's the celebrity of it. You know, you got the Hal Elrods and the Brandons and the Davids and, you know, uh, some of the other guys like that that have these kind of big celebrity. And then you've got the guys who feel like oh, I'm scratching the bottom, man. I'm like, you know, 1.1, 1.2. I don't know. I don't know if I belong. Like you got this big spread. That's really intentional of you. Can you talk about how did you and look, this is for any GoBundance member or anybody who's thinking about joining GoBundance. Like I say this to guys in Ascend and gals in Ascend, like you bought access. You're investing in access. It's up to you now to leverage it. So how did you leverage it? How did you and David become a, a six-month dating pair? <laughs> um, persistence. And honestly, Matt King being an awesome guy. Like, man, I, that, that guy's awesome. Every time I talk to David, and hopefully Matt's, Matt, Matt could be listening. Like sometimes I've done calls when they're both on there. But um, Matt Matt's awesome. And he's always been great at coordinating David's time for me. As long as, you know, I, I, I hope David gets a little bit of value. Like I tell him how much I appreciate him and ask him if I can do anything for him, but it's leaning in right to answer your question. And if, if it's to be, it's up to me. So like, if I want to create a relationship, I've learned, like I've gone into things and, and done the wrong thing and been like, well, this is just going to happen. No, it's not like it's, it's completely up to me if it's going to happen. And I need to lean in and try to create these relationships. You know, that's kind of what I've found. Matt's the key. Matt is the, this is a little, little insider hack, right? Matt is the, <laughs> Matt is David. David is Matt, right? So I, Matt and I talk probably, God, probably once a week at this point. And, um, you know, not that, yeah, I don't talk to David that often. I, I see him at different things. I've ever so often he'll text me on something or I'll text him or whatever. But, um, but Matt is the key. And Matt, yeah, to your point, is a young guy, hungry, smart as anything, savvy business wise. And, uh, uh, yeah, if you for me, I feel like you know if you're if you're a value a contributing person and you're giving value and uh, uh, you know like you said taking that making that call every six months something that's you know valuable for David too he gets to he gets to you know throw some things at you he gets to test some thoughts you know put some things out there for you I think that's so amazing man I don't think enough people do stuff like that I'm not saying everybody call David but you know uh, you know whoever that person or those people are in this tribe in particular it's still it's grown. 
a lot, but it's still like 700 people. It's not that many people at the end, in the end of the, you know what I mean? It's still very exclusive. So I love that, man. I think that's brilliant. So I appreciate you sharing that, uh, that insider tip, if you will. For sure. Let's jump over to the one sheet for a moment. So we're going to go, we're going to go kind of pillar by pillar. And let's talk first about, you got 180 units of property. It sounds like, I think that's the last number you gave me. So let's talk about horizontal income. Uh, Are you comfortable sharing what your horizontal income is? And do you count that as 180 or do you count it as a smaller number than that as far as lines of income? You know, the property, like if we're going by properties, I think it's like in the high fifties. Like if we want to go by, let's, let's call it that high individual properties, right? Yep. Got it. Okay. Yeah. What's the and what's the horizontal income look like right now for you? So I, I went through this. Let's see here. I got about thirty five a month. Is kind of where it's at. Makes sense. Um, that makes sense. Full disclosure in that though is my parents LLCs, and honestly they cash flow about five each. Like I said, I mentioned letting them draw about three. We're yep. kind of on the test. I hope I can increase that this year. So probably about twenty five right now is mine, uh, with a couple big value add projects uh, this year that I hope to kind of boost mine a little bit. Going forward. And what percentage does that make you? Technically, that puts me at like 392. So we're about 6,500 a month. Um, Love it. Why do you keep the Walgreens four hours a month? (laughs) You know, I actually just stepped away not too long ago. I kind of take a different approach. Like there's the whole approach of burn the boats and we're going all in. I I talked to the the W2 exit microtribe about this not too long ago. I said, I, I was privy to some loans that I wasn't, like I shouldn't have got because of my strong W-2 income, right? And it was super strong. And I, I could go to the bank and be like, hey, I live like a pauper. I have no car. I have no house. I moved from flip to flip. And I have all this income. And they would give me these loans. So like I, I really milked that job. Like I stepped away, I think, in June of 2021. You know, the year up leading up to that, I was just putting 30-year fixes because I'd never gone through and done those and just saving up money and doing 30-year fixes. So it's it's not necessary. It's still a fresh leave. Mm. So like my wife and I's goal this year, like I said, we have about $6,500 a month of the expenses. We'd like to net from our W-2s 5,000 a month. So that's kind of our goal. We'll work as much as that takes. We just welcomed a new son into the world like two oh, weeks congrats. ago. So we're probably weeks more than working. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, 6,500 is going up, man. Sorry. That, that expense <laughs> line is going way up. That's <laughs> totally. Absolutely. So- so real quick on 6,500 a month for context, is that, is that true? Uh, like, how do I put this? The business, I, I find this for a lot of guys that listen that are maybe W2 and making that transition. I've learned this in my transition. Like when you say 6,500 a month, is that truly, you know, like the expenses that you, that, you know, anybody that has a job has, like, is that cell phone, Wi-Fi, or, or, or do you have a certain amount of expense covered by your business and 6,500 is what's remaining? So some, some things that you might do personally, use personally, are actually business expense and 6,500 is what's remaining, like your personal mortgage, if you have one, um, you know, daycare, if you don't include that in your business, right? Like those aspects, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so like that 6,500, I think like 1,500 is a mortgage. I put about 500 extra a month for um, Colorado has very cheap property taxes compared to my Wisconsin property taxes sure. or Texas. So that's in there. And then you have like your car insurances that kind of lumps in the next 500. Yep. And we have about $800 a month of car payments. And then my wife and I do this thing every month where we record all of our expenses. Like I have the years of our expenses and we try to keep it about two grand a piece. And mm-hmm. we kind of sit down at the end of the month and we look at them. We'll probably have to expand that as, uh, as you mentioned, and as our horizontal income goes up, but also kind of 
you know, you know, the lifestyle creep. So I'm trying to fight that as long as possible to be hard. honest with you. It's hard. It's very hard, especially as you have kids. And the, the first expense will be, why do we need all of, why do stores have like rock and plays and pack and plays? And then you go buy all of them just to get sleep. Like one of these will work. Get me a swing. Doesn't matter. Put, put all of them in my house. Make this kid sleep. But Man, you're two weeks in, so you may not be hitting that just yet. No, not quite yet, but I, I feel like I'm like my own Amazon warehouse. Like we get like three packages a day. And my son, who's, you know, who's born on the first, what is it? The 17th, 16 days old. He gets more mail than I do. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh my God. And 60 <laughs> days in this world and he's got more mail than you've ever gotten in your life. Exactly. That's funny. No, I love that, man. Thanks for going through that. That's incredible. Um, let's mm-hmm. talk about age-defying health. So what a weight and body fat percentage? What does that look like? Yeah, I'm uh, weighing about 200 pounds these days. And about 15% is where I had it last. I honestly haven't like, I use a little calibrator on like the back. Yeah. The last thing I did. And um, I think that was honestly late 2020, but I haven't really fluctuated too much. I'm overweight, probably by about 15 pounds, 15, 20 pounds. Like I could stand to lose. At the, at the, yeah, you're in that last like five, 10%, right? That's always the hardest. I try to stay under 160, try to, and, but like 164 is like my, oh, I'll go get a burger now. You know, like once I hit one six, it's only four more, but I never burned that last four. I'm going, I'm going out and eating as much as I can at that point. I just, I deserve it. Damn it. That's a a block for me. Speaking of diet and exercise, what do you do in those regards? Uh, yeah. So that's, that's something, you know, at the pod level, we, we usually have some pretty good fun with as far as like weight loss challenges. Like I've gotten down, like one of our challenges, I had to get down before my wedding, actually, uh, I get down to like 183 or something. Wow. And, How tall are you? I'm six one. Wow. So that's getting me pretty skinny. I have a yeah. decent, I have a little muscle on me, but I honestly just didn't feel good. It was kind of a combo of me, honestly, starving myself to yeah. get, get down there, just limiting my caloric intake. Didn't want to work out. Sure. I look great, but I, I don't feel good. And now we, we've kind of gone down and we talked about that as a pod level. So like I'm signed up to do the Oregon half Ironman this year in July. And I'm, I'm, trying to not watch my weight at all. I'm going to let my body dictate where my weight needs to be in order to complete that. And that's kind of what I've been trying to do lately. That's funny. Yeah. I always, that's what I do with weight too. I don't like, Oh, I want to weigh. It's like, what do I feel? I feel really good. Like 158 to 160 below that. I, like you said, I, I just don't feel good. I look fine. Yeah. Wow. You're in shape and all that stuff. 162, three, four. I'm okay. I get over 165. And again, I just don't feel good. So there's like a range there. Like 158 to 160 is ideal. 160 to 164, just based on feeling, not because of BMI or any. In fact, BMI, I think I'm supposed to be like 112 or something ridiculous. Like, that. <laughs> yeah, it's so, totally not applicable. Yeah. Um, and like you say, I'm kind of in like that. 190 is my sweet spot. That's where I should gotcha. be. So I'm heavy by about 10 pounds right now. I gotcha, think. Gotcha. Which is always the toughest 10 to lose. So, um, all right. Let's talk about your LHI, your life happiness index. Do you have that uh, for this last quarter? And where is it? What are you working on? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have it coming in at about a 7.2. Um, and I think this was from, I think December is when I did this last. Remember so, some of the lacking things, you know, Kate and I's relationships paramount. And if, if that's going well, everything goes well. Right. And that's, that's where every, the main cornerstone of my life. I think at that time, like Kate was like eight and a half months pregnant. So like there were some difficulties there, like in is more my fault. I didn't know how to support her kind of feeling helpless, right? Like uh, just watching her go through what she's gone through in the last, you know, well, I guess nine and a half months, but particularly these last three weeks is just, it's, it's on, it's very humbling, honestly, like 
Uh, we really don't have too much control over what happens in this world. <laughs> and it's funny, man. Like it's a cruel joke in some ways for for women, right? You 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 go through this this body change morphing of developing a human inside of you. And the moment at which you finally relieve yourself of all of that, now that thing needs to feed on you and needs you and needs your nurturing and your comfort. And and for you, you've got this inborn instinct that makes makes you want to do that at the expense of everything else in your life. I mean, it's just, it's the most, ama- yeah, I couldn't have been, been a woman. <laughs> no way. Yeah, you hit it right on top of the head. Like I was talking with uh, my father-in-law about that. It's like, our creator, God, whoever you want to call uh, yeah. that that entity, has like a beautiful way of designing life. But in this one way, he makes you <laughs> the women go through this childbirth, like you said. And usually, then there's like, oh, then this rest period. There's nothing. It's from the frying pan into the fire. It's like, man, like we could design that any better. Right, right, he's done right. a great job with everything else. Hey, for me, for me being a guy, he did a great job. I can't imagine nursing children. So I'm gonna be selfish here and say, <laughs> nice job, God. Nice job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how about contribution? Where do you like to give back? What do you like to give? Is it time, money? What do you What do you do in that regard? Um. So, one of my biggest things I did, and I did this pretty. I think it was like right when I I left grad school. Like my town's like I said, super small. Uh, I started a, a town scholarship, and I've, I've kept that going. I think it's like in its eighth year or something like that. That's big. Uh, we're looking at probably starting one at my wife's high school in in the relatively new near future giving back at the uh, collegiate level to my, my college hockey program, just the booster club and stuff like that. So I, I lean into those past uh, relationships. We usually try to like adopt a family every year for Christmas and things like that. Uh, one of my big pillars of my, or my bucket list items is I want to give 25 million away to charity. And it's, it's kind of the, was it the cart and the horse carrot? It's like, do you give away now? Because, you know, you have some funds to try to work towards that goal or, you know, you're probably the best steward of those funds to make them grow so you can give more later. Uh, one of my mentors kind of like laid that out. I, I asked him that one time and he's like, you need to at least start giving some now so you establish the habit because otherwise it'll always be let's wait till later because it'll keep getting bigger. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good point. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I guess so. Right. That's probably very good advice. Sage advice. Like, you know, get in the habit of giving and when you're ready to give what you, the, the big amount, you'll be, you'll be just sort of in, in the uh, routine of doing so. Yeah. Um, all right. How about uh, trips? Have you been to any? Have we met at a GoBundance trip? Maybe we have. Maybe we haven't. I can't remember. <laughs> I was at Steamboat. That was the last one. And then Park City, I missed just because the little guy, he was, yeah. he was fresh. So, um, yeah. but yeah, um, looking at, I'll probably go to the, I'm probably going to, join champions here this year as well. So I'd like to lean into a champions event and kind of see what that looks like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise I don't think we've met like face-to-face just probably online, just on the, on the chats and stuff probably, but that's about it. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. As far as trips went, we, we, uh, we took my family and some friends, like uh, well, our family and some friends up to Alaska this last summer. Cause obviously I have some connections up there guiding. So we took like 24 people up there and had a, a fishing trip and did all that last, a lot last of summer. big fish with who is it? Andy Hicks. You got a, a big old fish up there with him, right? Yep. Andy Hicks was up there. He, he had, uh, he was fly fishing the Kenai a couple of days and then came down to Homer and fished with uh, my buddy and I for a few days and we caught him a, a nice fish. Yeah. He had him and his, uh, his wife uh, came up, which was awesome. The thing had my BMI. It was the exact same <laughs> size as me. It was unbelievable. I, I was like, wow, that's a, that's a hell of a fish. So Wow. Yeah. Really cool, man. I, I, like I said, I love the story. I love hearing about, uh, about all that you're doing and some of the, some of the stuff that you, 
you know, the contribution that you're looking to have and all of that is just really inspiring. So I appreciate you sharing everything. How about this? What was, this is the question from the GoBundance card game. What was the last personal breakthrough you experienced? Hmm. Let me think about that. that pers- yeah. It's a deep one. Yeah. You know, you know, one of the things I'm really struggling with right now, I have have a couple of things like, because it's so fresh, I've stepped away. And I know like Mr. Turner's spoken on this at length and he does such a good job of succinctly putting points that you're trying to like, it's just a constant, like talk in your head. And he says it in like a sentence. You're like, yeah, I've been trying to work that out in my mind for six months. But yeah, you just said it is I'm, I'm, I'm bored. Like the whole dream of financial independence, let's get there. Um, there's a local GoBundance guy here named Mike Del Sesto. And he told me this before I even stepped away. He's like, Nate, I, I did it. And now I'm like, I kind of, the horizontal thing, uh, Brandon talked to Steamboat. He's like, I, you got to lean into some projects a little bit to get them to horizontal, kind of a diagonal income. And yeah. I'm looking for more diagonal income projects where I can lean in for 12 to 18 months and they pay uh, for the next 20 years type things. So I'm kind of, uh, my breakthrough is that I, I'm ready to go back to work and start taking on new projects. Especially with the, you know, kind of the last two weeks with the little guy being born, really kind of like, hey, it you need to get this done. So when he's, you know, five, six and on, like you can spend some quality time. Yeah, yeah. It shifts things for sure. Even if it's not knowingly, unknowingly, it shifts things for you. Do you have any sense of what that project's gonna be? A uh, category? Is it real estate? Is it syndicating? Any 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 ideas on that? Yeah, it'll it'll be multifamily at first. And I really want to get into the industrial real estate space, uh, more warehouses. Um, yeah, I, I'll keep uh, scaling how I can. Uh, I take some some money from you know I, I'm I'm at a place where I'm I'm where I'm at because of my mentors and the people that came before me. I have some mentors that'll lend me money for deals, and it's and it's just a strict here you go. It's like a second mortgage, and they don't take any ownership, which is wow. I know a lot of guys don't have that. It's yeah, very fortunate. Yeah. Um, so I'll keep going that route and trying to keep everything in house, but definitely open to syndicating. In the future, just trying to build my my unit account and try to build a small team underneath me to be able to run the business so I can step away. Yeah, no, yeah I don't know if you listened to the Brandon Turner episode on uh, on Tribe of Millionaires. It just came out as we're recording this like a week ago. But did you hear that one or no? I did, yep. Where he went through those four steps, like, you know, DIY to architect. And for me, it's like, oh, I'm a COO. I've always, I'm thinking, oh, I'm an architect. No, 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 I'm a COO. Like architect is that next level, I think, for many of us. And it sounds like that's kind of where you're moving toward. That's exactly it. I, I was I was blanking on the analogy. I was talking with a, a guy I'm looking at partnering with this morning. And I was blanking on the analogy. I'm like, it was CEO. And it was like general, because anyone into the general thing, I'm like, it's general up here, but that's not what he used, something else. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I, I need to go into that architect. I'm I'm very much COO now. Yeah, yeah. I love it, man. Well, wow, you built a significant business, significant company. I love all that you're doing. Where can people learn more about you, find out more about you? Where do you want them to follow you? Whatever it might be. Yeah, I mean, probably the best uh, spot to do that is on Instagram. I'm Dr. Underscore Nate Underscore Real Estate. That's my uh, my tag. Uh, you can email me. My email is Nathan at ClearwaterCapitalGroup.net, all lowercase, all one word. Great to meet you, man. I appreciate you being on. And uh, man, this was great. Thanks for taking the time with me today. Absolutely, man. We'll, uh, we'll link up at the next event. Absolutely.
Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon.